Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Paris of Copper Beach Financial Group. Again, John is traveling on business, so Michael is at the helm of the ship. He is doing a great job with this podcast. Last time, on the last podcast, he had guest Paul Dietrich, and Paul is back to just bring us some more great wisdom. If you have not heard that first podcast, it was pretty eye-opening. I learned a ton, and I know you will too. So, Michael, why don't you uh, bring Paul back on and, and uh, continue that discussion? Well, thanks, Eric. And Paul, how you doing? Good. And just so, just so everyone knows, Paul is the chief investment strategist with B. Riley Wealth Management. He's a, a longtime colleague of ours, and and uh, we're ready to, to jump back into it. I'm pretty excited hosting this myself because I get to monopolize all the questions with Paul without my father trying to get in the way and, <laughs> and changing things up. So I'm really excited. <laughs> but, but Paul, I really wanted to, we, we talked a lot on our last podcast uh, about uh, sort of the uh, future recession and your thoughts on that and how that might play out. But I, I, we're in a pretty exciting time. Uh, it's an election year as well. And I, I wanted to really pick your brain a little bit because on our prior podcast from a few months ago when you were our, our guest, you talked a little bit about uh, sort of the behind the scenes of uh, the, the United States-China uh, trade war, for lack of a better term. Uh, I think since then, we've had the uh, Canada-Mexico trade agreement that's been signed, and we're starting to possibly make some headway on the China and, and U.S. trade side. So I was hoping to really pick your brain to see if you can give us some updates on that front and where we may go from here. You know, uh, let me say that the new uh, trade agreement with uh, Canada and uh, you know, and Mexico, it, it, with all trade agreements, it's a lot of compromise, but boy, this is so much better um, than what we had with NAFTA. So you have to give them credit uh, for, uh, you know, for the work that was done here. The China, U.S. Uh, trade situation is much different. Uh, I supported uh, President Trump's effort uh, to really go hard on China in order to get them to stop stealing our technology, stop stealing our data, stop the forced transfer of technology in order to do business in China, uh, and uh, and the state subsidization of companies that steal that data and then go into go into business uh, against uh, the people who develop that that right. technology, and every president that I can think of, Democrat and Republican, all the way back to Reagan, have complained about this, and China has has always said, "Well, woe is me! I'm a third world country. You know, you shouldn't treat me as, you know." a first world country, and yes, I can steal. Uh, it, it never made sense to me, but that was always their their argument that they were a third world country and that it wasn't serious. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I remember uh, there was an author back in the, the 1770s in England um, 
that uh, used to complain that the minute his book was published in England and it got on a ship, two weeks later it was printed in the United States and he never got any royalties out of that. And uh, I guess we must have argued in those days that we didn't have to uh, abide by uh, international patent rules if there were any at that time. But <laughs> and uh, so uh, but that that's what's happened with China. And and all the other all the other presidents, they either knew how hard it was going to be and they just decided not to just talk about it, but not do anything. Uh, I thought that the fact that Trump was serious about this and was serious about getting them to change with the tariffs, that it was worth what he was doing with putting on these tariffs, which I, if, if I thought that he really loved tariffs, uh, I would have been opposed to it because I think all free traders are opposed to tariffs. But in order to punish someone for cheating like that, uh, I thought as a short-term measure in order to get them to the table to agree to, you know, amend their ways uh, was a worthwhile uh, endeavor. It turned out that the Chinese kind of slow walked this through the first term of Trump's administration. And I, I think that if Trump gets reelected, they'll try to slow walk it another four years so they don't have to actually do anything. And I must admit, uh, I was I kind of admired the Chinese really kind of use this masterfully. Uh, they they put on tariffs on our agricultural products, which they knew went to the base of Donald Trump's support, and they really hurt the farmers uh, in the United States. And uh, Trump was kind of forced into a capitulation. Uh, this new trade agreement, make no mistake about it, it's not really a trade agreement. It's just a purchase agreement. Uh, what's happened is the Chinese have agreed to purchase the same amount of stuff that they were purchasing two years ago. So th this has been a net wash, uh, except that it probably took uh, a, a four-tenths of a point or a half a percent off of GDP last year that we would have had. We probably would have had about 2.5% growth last year instead of 2.1% um, because of the, of the trade war. And so the good news is, is that we've got a reprieve for about a year uh, through this year of no more new tariffs uh, until well after the election. But this was not a victory for the United States. I mean, you have to give... I've read the whole trade agreement. Yeah, you have to give this as a hundred percent win for the Chinese. That's that's really interesting. Now, get switching over to the political side of things. I know when we last spoke, that was probably going to be a key part of Trump's reelection campaign is being able to say that he was able to have a, a an agreement in place with China as obviously a, a um, uh, you know, campaign benefit to him. Is this going to oh, affect his reelection, do you think? No, no, no. He is going to claim this as a great victory. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, m make no mistake about it. Uh, I am probably one of maybe 150 people in the United States who's actually read the entire trade agreement from beginning to end. Uh, it's a long agreement, uh, but it's mainly a, uh, to get the Chinese to purchase certain amounts as they were in 2018, 
but make no mistake about it, he is going to toot this as the greatest uh, thing since, uh, you know, sliced bread. And most people won't, they'll believe him. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that as well. Um, switching over to the Democrat side, uh, actually, we were chatting a little bit before we started recording. We're, we're in the height of the uh, Democratic primary. Uh, one thing that uh, I wanted to ask you, I personally think Trump's in a, in a good position to be reelected, but in the event that a Democratic uh, candidate is able to win, and obviously we don't, at the time we're recording this, we don't know who that person may be, but if they do win the election, what do you think that's going to do to the economy, uh, stock market, and so on? Well, I, I've had um, I've had access to a lot of polling, uh, and again, polling can be wrong, as we know. But uh, I think that you can, you can't say that it's a slam dunk that Trump will get reelected. Uh, it all depends on who's the Democratic nominee. If it's Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, he's going to win, no doubt about it. Um, if it's Bloomberg or Buttigieg, um, I don't think Klobuchar has a chance. She just keeps running third, and she's running out of money. Um, and and I don't and or Biden, and I don't. It looks like Biden's fading. But if if those. For especially Buttigieg and Bloomberg, and Bloomberg being the strongest, um, the polls show you know Trump would be in a tough position because there are a lot of people in America, both Republicans and Democrats. I mean, even Republicans who like, uh, as I do, many of the policies uh, of Donald Trump, they're just uh, they're exhausted from the you know, the reality TV show roller coaster, um, sort of what seems like instability in government. And they would just like competent, stable management. And when you start delving down in the polls, you know, Mike Bloomberg was mayor of New York, which is probably the toughest executive position in government in the United States, maybe even tougher than being president of the United States, but certainly it's the number two, if not number one. And everyone knows who spent any time in New York that he really cleaned it up uh, and uh, he is competent and he's kind of, you know, not a lot of drama, uh, which we have a lot of in the Trump administration. And so uh, a, a lot of people think that a, a lot of Republicans may switch over knowing that Bloomberg is really, in his heart of hearts, a Republican. Uh, he was a Republican, uh, even though he's liberal on a lot of social issues, like limiting your how many sodas you can have. And he, he is against gun control, uh, or he's for gun control. Uh, but other than that, um, most people think that the stock market would not be negatively affected if a, a Biden, Buttigieg, or uh, Bloomberg uh, were to win. Uh, if Trump were to win, the market would be happy. But they would; it would be a disaster if um, if 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 uh, Sanders or or Warren uh, could get elected. Um, the market would 
would take a steep drop at least for a time until people realized that, you know, none of their policies could get enacted because, you know, you'd have to tax every American who works 100% of their payroll in order to pay for all the nonsense that they've suggested. So, you know, that's kind of where we are in terms of how it would affect the stock market. And that's kind of where we are of the kind of sophisticated analysis of of whether Trump could win. If uh, Trump will win, probably if if it's Sanders or or Warren, but you just never know with Trump because something terrible could happen. And um, but but if it's Bloomberg, um, and 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 let me let me give you an example uh, of what a lot of people are thinking is going to happen, and it seems to be playing out now now that we've seen Iowa and New Hampshire when we're recording this podcast, uh, is that people are splitting up all the delegates. Uh, We may see different people win in Nevada and in South Carolina. Biden has a shot down there. Um, And then we go into Super Tuesday, and that's when Bloomberg is coming in. And Bloomberg is going up very quickly in the polls because of all the money he's spending on ads. And um, you know, don't forget California is there, uh, and that's where uh, he could do really well and kind of su- go beyond everybody else in terms of delegates. And uh, and most people think that you're going to go into the convention, the Democratic convention, and no one will have a majority. So that means it will go into a second vote. And in the first vote, every delegate has to vote the way their state voted. But in the second um, vote, uh, people uh, are not, they're not restricted. They can kind of vote who they think is best at that point. Also in the second round of balloting, the the Democrats have what are called super delegates. And I believe there are about 1900 of them. And these are all establishment. They're kind of Clinton- Democrats, but they're all the old establishment Democratic Party who are fearful of uh, of Sanders and Warren, and they uh, they get to vote uh, in that second and third round, and so a lot of people uh, think that that's where Michael Bloomberg, because he's given so much money over the last eight years to Democrats, to the Democratic Party, and the Democratic Party right now is almost completely broke. And so going into an election with a well-funded Trump, you know, I think a lot of people are going to say, look, we don't have any money. We can't compete with him on money. And here you got a guy who will, will fund it, you know, to the maximum, will match Trump dollar for dollar. And plus, in a debate, you know, you got two boys from Queens who are street fighters uh, going at each other. It's going to be like a mud wrestling match. Um, uh, Mayor Bloomberg is is not exactly uh, a shrinking violet, uh, and and he's he would probably be the best in any debate against Trump. Uh, so it's you know, buckle up. This is going to be a fun election. Yeah, I'm excited. Now, the, the other question is a follow up from that. And it's something I've always questioned just personally. In the event that, uh, let's say, Bloomberg becomes the nominee, do you believe that he will have enough, uh, let's say, 
uh, rapport with the far left, maybe the Sanders or the Warren supporters, where they'll actually turn out and vote for for Bloomberg in that example? I, yes. Uh, the, the thinking is that they so hate Trump <laughs> that, that they will vote for anyone uh, who could defeat Trump. I mean, they see the progressive left, the socialist left, uh, they see Trump as an existential threat to everything they believe. And uh, I believe they will come out for um, uh, for a, a Bloomberg or a Buttigieg or, or any of the moderates, Biden, um, just simply because their their hatred of Trump um, will will animate everything that they do. The the thing with uh, Biden or and and a Buttigieg and a uh, a Bloomberg is that they could take what used to be a Republican stronghold of suburban uh, women and men um, that that those people it looked like in the 2018 election abandoned the the Republican Party and or a lot of them did enough to give give uh, those districts uh, to Democrats as opposed to Republicans that had it historically. And um, I think there's a lot of belief that there are a lot of moderate Republicans who don't like Trump. They may like his policies, but they don't like him personally. Uh, that would switch over uh, to a moderate, but would never vote for uh, a Sanders or a, a Warren. Yeah, I mean, that's what I've been advocating. If I, I, I stay in the middle, at least I try to, but I've always, for my Democratic friends, I've always tried to convince them that I think it would be better for you to win as opposed to maybe having an idealist that you may support their policies, but they might not have the ability to beat Trump in an election. So I, I agree with you that that is probably the best strategically. I guess we'll see what happens from here. Yeah, I mean, the argument, uh, <laughs> James Carville, who's a Democratic, he ran Clinton's campaign. He said, look, the purpose of politics is power, that you can have all the greatest policies and, you know, socialist utopias uh, that you can, you know, dream up. But if you don't have power, it's just that a dream. Yeah. Well, that, that was a great conversation, Paul. Thank you for that. And And switching gears, I'd like to to also touch on is getting back to maybe more of a topic from your first uh, your first podcast on this go around, but we're we're starting to have a lot of conversations with our families on they're really questioning us on what's going on in the international economies and and the stock market that the international side of the world has really trailed the domestic here in the United States and sort of wondering what whether that's going to turn around in the future or how that's going to play out. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I do. Um, and I, I watch this carefully and I, I'm, I'm often an analyst on CNBC Asia, which is mainly broadcast in Asia. And, uh, so I, I, I follow a lot of the international economy. Uh, if you look at, I, I always, you know, going back to my economics 101 lesson where the first day the professor tells you, that you know the stock market 
is a derivative of the underlying economy. It reflects the underlying economy. And on a day-to-day basis, any goofy thing like a Trump tweet or something happening in Iran or North Korea or Brexit, anything can affect the market on a day-to-day basis, politics. But in the long run, and they they determine long run as any five-year period you can conceive, that in the long run, the 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 stock market always, 100% of the time, always reflects the underlying directional trend of the underlying economy. And it's that's not only true for the US, it's true for other countries. And so I often don't look at uh, the stock market very much because I, it's a derivative of the underlying economy. I I pay close attention to what's going on in the underlying economy, and I always think you can't go wrong uh, by basing your investment decisions on that and not how the the stock market is doing. Right now, if you look at Europe. The stock market's been pretty good, but the underlying economy in Europe is really kind of awful. Um, uh, Germany seems like it's in decline, if not in technical recession. Uh, Europe uh, looks like it's it's flatlined, uh, if not, depending on which country, kind of in recession. With the Brexit coming, uh, the the real Brexit uh, coming at the end of this year, uh, when when we'll see whether it affects the economy or not, um, I I wouldn't be investing in Europe right now, just simply because even though the stock market seems to have have done well, simply because we have some stability with Brexit and trading and stuff like that. Um, I wouldn't invest in Europe because the underlying economy is is on the verge of recession. You look at Asia, and Asia was definitely hurt by the trade war with the United States. Uh, There's no question about it. Uh, And now with the big uh, virus, uh, coronavirus in uh, China, that's taking a big toll. But that's going to be over. I mean, all, people differ, but almost all the scientists believe the peak has either already happened in the coronavirus or or will happen between now and April. But at some point this year, it's going to start to go down. And they think they've found some, if not cures, uh, ways to treat it so people don't die and that they can lift uh, all the the travel bans that they have. But basically, the rest of the rest of Asia is doing re- quite well. And uh, that would be a place that I would invest in until uh, the US goes into recession. Because if if you're a historian of the stock markets and the economy, as I am, uh, when the US goes into a recession, the rest of the world goes into a recession. And so I think Asia is going to do well this year. Uh, and I think it'll probably do well at the beginning of next year. But at some point when the US starts to go into recession, get out of your investments in uh, Asia. That's all I can invest, I can advise. Um, and that, and Asia, 
uh, is the only place I'd invest. I, I, I'd invest. I'd be investing in China right now um, because you know it's really the markets are down. They're uh, they're hurting because of this coronavirus. But this is one of those short-term things that will eventually pass. Everyone will get back to work. Uh, they'll start producing stuff, and the stock market will go up. N now's the time to buy uh, if you if you're interested in a larger profit. Once this thing gets handled, the stock market will go up. Well, Paul, this was this was really really insightful. I, I always appreciate uh, your conversations uh, with us, and and thank you so much for being on the podcast. Unfortunately, we think we're running out of time, but. Uh, we'll have you on again, so don't worry about that. And we really appreciate you being on. I love doing it. Thank you. Always learning. I'm always learning from the two of you. <laughs> I feel like I should pay admission, <laughs> but please don't make me. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about that. Yeah, yeah okay. We'll talk about the affair. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, again, thank you so much for bringing Paul on. Paul, what a fantastic job you did today, again today. Love the insight. Uh, thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you. And audience, I want to thank you for the same thing. Thank you for spending your time listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Incorporated, a member of FINRA SIPC Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of APFS and APA. Any opinions expressed in this forum are not the opinion or view of American Portfolios Financial Services, Incorporated, APFS, or American Portfolios Advisors, Incorporated, APA, and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors.